So this morning we come to a, a very practical passage in the book of Philippians in which Paul is giving some practical characteristics of what it looks like to be a Christian in the daily walk. Paul has um, encouraged the Philippians thus far and in chapter 3, which we are now, has taken some time to warn the Philippians. The warning consists of being careful not to become self-righteous in their Judaism, in their traditions, in their zealousness for following the traditions of their time. And now Paul is going to be giving the Philippians some characteristics of what the daily Christian walk looks like. And these characteristics can be applied to our lives very practically. So if you are able to stand, let us stand for the reading of God's word. It will be Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. The word of God reads, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, through your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to understand the importance of being diligent in our walk with you. Uh, Lord Jesus, this can only be done by you granting us faith and grace. We ask that you, therefore, speak to us this morning, that we may grasp and apply these truths. And we ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So with that, the sermon title for this morning is Pressing Forward in Christ. Paul has expanded on how no amount of human goodness or human account, uh, human righteousness, whether it's religious or otherwise, will ever be enough to attain the righteousness that we need before God. And what is, again, what we mean when we say righteousness in the context of the Bible, in the context of being right with God? When we talk about righteousness, we mean the acceptable moral standing that is required to be acceptable to God. Okay, so Paul has shown us that I cannot show favor to anyone based on their ethnicity, on their traditions, rigorous religious practices, nor on how passionate someone may be about their beliefs or a particular cause. Rather, Paul has told us that he himself, having attained the highest possible rankings and merits of a Jewish religious person, he realized those accomplishments meant nothing. They were worthless when it came to being right with God and hence abandoned them. Every effort that he had credited to himself abandoned that and traded that 
to embrace knowing Christ for who he truly is, realizing that only the righteousness of Christ and renouncing all his goodness would be able to make him right with Jesus. So we've expounded on that quite a bit in the last few weeks. Okay, so all that to say in application to our own lives, we cannot cling on to anything that we've done or will do according to our own righteousness. No tradition will be able to make us right with God. No amount of saying, well, I've done good in this avenue or I have trusted in how good I've done before God or if God comes and judge me today, he will take a balance and see how many good deeds I've done and how many bad deeds I've done. My friends, we're lost if we're trusting in any of that. We must abandon that and trust only in the righteousness of Jesus. Right? We're good so far. So now we come to the point where we say, okay, I get it. I realize I have no righteousness of my own. I trust in Christ. But then what? A couple of thoughts can creep in and can lead us also astray in the following manner. For one... A person may think that now that they've been saved, we've grabbed a hold of the righteousness of Christ. So now I'm good. Now I can go and live my life as I want to. I can proclaim that I know Christ and continue living however the heck I want. It doesn't matter. Or alternatively, the other erroneous path we can go is saying I have the righteousness of Christ, and therefore I am now perfect. I don't sin anymore. That is known as perfectionism or sinless perfection. There are sects of Christianity that to this very day hold to that notion that if you're now a Christian, you have attained perfection in this life, in this world, in this body. Now, not only by personal experience, I could tell you that's not true, but more so because the scripture says so, right? So scripture reminds us that either of those two paths, either laziness and continuing in our sinful lifestyles, thinking we're protected only because we say, I believe in Christ and living the way we want, that's not correct. And also thinking, well, I, I believe in Christ, I have his righteousness, therefore I don't sin anymore. Those two notions are erroneous. How can we know? Well, Scripture tells us. The first case would be addressed by uh, many Scriptures, but I have one for each, just for our quick reference. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul talking about we've been saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, through His work alone. In that context, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Right? So there's this notion that we can continue in our sin because, hey, that way grace may abound. No. May it never be, Paul says. Secondly, the notion of now we are perfect, we are sinless. The book of 1 John talks about I mean, Paul talks about that himself, right? He says, how wretched I am for the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things that he shouldn't do, he doesn't do, right? So uh, the book of 1 John also talks about that. Uh, towards the end of 1 John chapter 1, 1, 8 and 9, tells us that if we say that we don't sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. 
And then chapter 2 of 1 John, it reads as follows. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So there we are reminded then that as Christians in our struggle to walk with Christ on our daily lives, we do fall, we do sin. But when we do sin, we're not to dwell on that sin and deep, even deeper or be discouraged and say, I can't do it. I give up. No, because we have an advocate. That advocate is the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life we couldn't live. And his righteousness is applied to us when we trust in him. He advocates for us and therefore we're made right with God. So then, coming back to the question, yes, I've acknowledged that I don't have the righteousness that it takes to be right with God. Therefore, I'm, yes, I need Christ. I embrace his righteousness. So now what? What is the correct attitude then? What is the outlook in life of the believer in Christ? This, my friends, is what Paul tells us today. Paul, first of all, is telling us that he's not someone who has obtained perfection. The first verse in our passage this morning tells us that, verse 12. Right? But Paul is saying that he's one who strives for diligence. He's one who strives for excellence. And the key then is that if we have been born again, if we have been given a new nature by God, then there must be an attitude of humility in the believer that says, yes, I don't have what it takes to be made right with God. And yet we are to be diligent to show that the salvation that we have is real by the fruit that we show, by striving, by pressing forward in Christ, in what he has done in our daily lives. Paul often describes this, this strive, this reaching for that goal in terms of an athlete, an athlete that is competing, right? Paul makes that metaphor, saying that the Christian life is like a, like a metaphorical race. Like you're running this race, and, and it's not a short run. It's a very long run. And he talks about endurance, devotion, enthusiasm, diligence, reverence. So that we may grow closer to Christ and ultimately bring honor and glory to God in doing so. So then today in this passage, we're going to see several characteristics of how our life looks like when we press forward in Christ. Okay, let's not forget that in Christ. As we do so, then let us self-examine ourselves. Letting God speak to us on how to realign ourselves to his will, to his word, so that we may grow closer to him in our walk. So let's dig right in. The attitude characteristic number one that we should be applying in our lives to press forward in Christ in our Christian walk is the recognition that we are better than we were. We are justified, but we're not yet where we should be. Philippians 3.12 reads, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus 
has made me his own. So real quick, I often like to mention what we don't mean. What we don't mean, again, here I cannot say this enough, it does not mean that anyone becomes a Christian by applying these principles. No, 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 no. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to try harder now to do this so that I can be right with God. No, because you are right with God, we should be encouraged, exhorted, even rebuked to align ourselves to these characteristics, to do what Paul is telling us, to look forward to how to press forward in Christ. Right? Let us make that clear as we go here, uh, analyzing this passage. So this does not mean then that our position before God changes. If we trust in Christ, our position is that we are justified. Right? We are made right with God through the righteousness of Jesus by what he has done. He lived the perfect life that I cannot live. He died on the cross, the death and condemnation that I deserve. He was buried and he rose again. So we trust in that. Now let us apply these principles. Okay? Very important. We are not talking about how to be saved, but rather how to persevere in the Christian walk. When a person then believes in Christ, he or she is immediately justified. What must I do to be saved? As the centurion, trust. Believe in the Lord and you shall be saved. Okay? When we are born again, we are given that new nature. It is something that Christ has done. We are reminded at, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 18, it, it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, our position with Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God. reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God is in the business of reconciling ourselves to him. He does that work because of God. It says right there in, in the reference we just read. And because of that, we are made right with God. Okay, We cannot emphasize that enough. What we are talking about now is how to become more like Christ. That is what we refer to as sanctification. How can I walk in my daily life to be more and more like Christ. Justification is done. We trust it in Christ. We are now in the struggle, in the daily battle, daily fight of sanctification. But we are not yet in the glorification phase. That's something that's yet to come. Okay? And therefore, we cannot claim perfection in this life. And that's why Paul says in that passage, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. So Paul then Acknowledges the first characteristic we mentioned. He knows that he has been made right with God. He's much better, infinitely better off than where he was when he was persecuting the church, trusting in his own deeds, in his own righteousness to be made right with God. He's past that. So now he's positionally justified before God. But he acknowledges that he's not yet where he needs to be. And that is when it comes to becoming refined, continually transformed, Paul says, I'm still on that path. I'm not done. God is not done with me. And then Paul negates then the notion that either he can go and live however he pleases in debauchery, nor that he can relax because now he's perfect. No, Paul says, no way. There's work that needs to be done in the life of the Christian. And then he says, I press on to make it my own. The word used there that he's pressing on it means to hasten, to run, to press forward. 
This is again the analogy of an athlete. An athlete that's participating in a sport, not only for the sake of participating, but that athlete is participating in the way that he or she wants to win. They want to own that um, athletic activity that they're partaking on. And as Paul often uses that analogy to sports, we can see that more clearly in Hebrews 12.1, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. So the analogy, the Christian life is like a race. If you're a Christian, you're in that race. Now, we're not looking for winners and losers because if you are in Christ, you are a winner. You are in Christ. But the analogy here is that because you are bought with Christ at a price, because you are so valuable to God, and because you are transformed and have a new nature, you should strive for, you should run for as if you're going to win that prize and not be lazy in your walk. So then we begin to see quickly that Paul is saying here that the Christian must strive, must work, must apply themselves in their dedication and devotion to God. And this Christian walk then requires to be intentional. Paul gives the reason why. Why should, he do that? why should he do that? He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See that? Paul does this because of Christ. Paul wants to pursue making this reality his own because Christ has redeemed him. He belongs to Christ. So then if we are a Christian, if you're a Christian, let us remember that we don't belong to ourselves. Paul is saying, I'm doing this because I belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 10, uh, 19 to uh, 20 says this. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So here then, Paul knows he's being redeemed and has been walking with Christ, but yet he is not where he should be. Therefore, as he presses on, he pursues with diligence his sanctification, his daily walk with Christ. And he reemphasizes he emphasizes that on the next verse, in the first half of the next verse, Philippians 3, 13, it says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So Paul, again, I have not made it yet. I'm still striving. I'm still going forward. I'm still being diligent in attaining this. And what is exactly Paul pursuing here? Let us make this clear. In the context of each person in the local church exercising their gifts in the church, according to what God has ordained for the church and for every one of our lives differently, the book of Ephesians gives us some insight into this. Let us take a quick look at Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. 
It reads, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So what is Paul talking about here? Attaining what? Attaining salvation? No. It's already done with. Paul is talking about maturity, becoming more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And this is the goal, which on this side of heaven, because of our fallen human nature, we're not going to be able to achieve fully. But nevertheless, there's that, that attitude of striving for what will come one day. Already, but not yet. We have attained sanctification, and we are fighting sanctification. We have obtained salvation. But again, the Bible about salvation in the sense that it's been obtained, is being obtained, and will be obtained. So we're striving for being diligent, being intentional, and striving for this goal of becoming more and more into the image of Christ as we walk in our daily Christian life. Leads to the second characteristic of pressing forward in Christ. Paul wants you to forget your past and focus ahead. Now, again, what this does not mean is whatever happened in your past is not important. That's not what it means. This is a context of what do we do now that we are in Christ? The second uh, portion of verse 13 reads as follows. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So there's a couple of applications here. First, let go of the past if you thought you were good enough. If you thought you were good enough, let go of that. How many times have I not shared the example of sharing gospel in the street, in a university campus, and even the person that is sincere in wanting to be made right with God, if, if asked, on what basis they think they are made right with God, they said, because I'm a good person. That is very common, right? So if one at one point thought that we are good enough, we ought to let go of that. If we thought we had any righteousness of our own, Paul has just addressed this. He exchanged all his human accomplishments as the basis of being made right with God. He exchanged all that human merit for the perfection of Christ. Right? So then... Forgetting the past. If you thought you were good enough, let that go. That cannot be so. Secondly, let go of your past if you don't think you're good enough. Now, enough. in a very real sense, you're not good enough. So that, that is true. You're not good enough to be made right with God in your, own, in your own merit. And because God will never accept you on the basis of your merits or your failures. Hence... You have to let go of that unworthiness and therefore apply what Paul said in verse 9, in which he said that he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own, but that which is attained by faith in Christ. That's the righteousness that Paul wants to be found in. 
So if we want to look at your past, even your present thinking that you're not worthy, that is true. But you must let go of that and be found in the righteousness of Jesus. Okay? So Paul says, then, once you have been exposed to this gospel truth, there's no room to dwell in your past. Wanting to take credit for something or think that you are unfit. This may sometimes take the form of dwelling in the past, like, well, I used to go to church, or I was raised in church. I used to go to Bible. I led Bible studies. I used to do evangelism. Like, that doesn't mean nothing anymore, right? It's not how you start, but how you end. We must let go of that and focus on what's ahead. If I'm being called, if God is drawing me, what should I do now, right? And the other thing is that somebody may also say, well, I've been through so much. I don't think God would accept me. Or, okay, before I become diligent in my walk with God, there's a few things I need to take care of. So hold that thought, God, I'll be right back. Right? Many of us have thought that in the past, even as believers. Why can I dedicate myself wholly and fully to the ministry that God has given me? And I don't mean full-time ministry. I mean applying the gifts of us. What is holding me back from that? Do we think then that we can put God on hold and say, well, I, uh, I can't really follow you right now because of X, Y, or Z. Let us look at the words of Jesus in Luke 9, 61 and 62. This is in the context of Jesus calling people to follow him. And it says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are some very harsh words. Very serious words. So in short, then, dwelling in the past, wanting to go back, will hinder our diligence and is ultimately an excuse to not follow Christ with fullness of heart. So then... We may ask ourselves in analyzing whether we're letting go in the past and looking to the future. What are my excuses? What are you currently going through in your mind, in your heart, in your life to say, ah, yeah, well, I should be diligent in following things of the Lord or should apply myself fully in the gifts and talents that God has given me. But uh, I got other things going on right now. I'm too busy. I need to focus on myself right now. Paul says, forget all that and press forward in Christ, which leads to the next characteristic. Attitude number three, which will help us to press forward in Christ. Intentionality in spiritual diligence. The second part there of Philippians 3.13, again, it reads, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. To obtain, spiritual, to obtain spiritual diligence then requires this straining forward that Paul talks about. This language is used in the context of reaching a particular goal. In the original language there, straining forward means to exert effort or energy to the utmost, 
conceive of as extending or stretching out to the full length. Again, the language of an athlete, not only participating, but applying all that he has in order to do well in the competition, in the activity that is being held and there, therefore obtaining the prize. So Paul says, in such manner, press forward in Christ with that type of diligence and effort to reach the goal. Again, what is that goal? Salvation? No. The goal is so that we can become more and more transformed into the image of Christ in our daily walk. So then spiritual diligence, we must remember this type of application of ourselves into our daily Christian living cannot and will not come by us being passive in the faith. That's not possible. This is a warning for us, just as the default of humanity is not to go towards the thing of God, but to go away from the things of God. Just like that, remember, a hot cup of water will not remain hot. It will turn warm and then it's going to go cold, right? Or a plant that you're attending to, what happens if as it's nurturing and growing, you stop watering it? It will stop growing and then eventually it'll die, right? In like manner, the Christian life, it requires diligence. Passivity will kill our desires and will kill our joys and pursuit of the things of God. Proverbs 13.4 warns us of that. It says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That is true both in the physical and in the spiritual. And then again, 2 Peter 1.5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That's a very high calling. Does that come naturally to us? Does applying ourselves and obeying that like, okay, got it. Yes, I'll do that starting now. No, no way. Matter of fact, it's impossible. These commands, submitting to these commands, are contrary to our human nature. Therefore, diligence, intentionality, in a way that requires and exerts maximum effort, like Paul is telling here, is a must in the Christian life. Paul asserts this as he presses forward in the next verse, Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And again, what is that goal? Attaining more and more gradually the stature of Christ, the image of Christ, becoming more like him in our sanctification. Sometimes we may be discouraged to say, you know what, I'm, I'm honestly trying to do that, but I just keep failing. I can't do it. And you become grieved and discouraged and you feel like you can't get up. Well, the good news is, if you're feeling that, if you are aware of that, that is an act of the Holy Spirit that is calling you to get up. In other words, you're fighting. You're not dead in sin and dwelling in your sin and even going deeper into your sin. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is grieving you 
so that you may repent and get up. Or if you're discouraged, so that you may be encouraged and get up and follow the Lord. Leads to our next characteristic. <clears throat> the fourth one is, in order to press forward in Christ, we need to strive forward for that goal in community. Philippians 3.13 reads as follows. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So in our Christian life, in our Christian community, in our church specifically, remember, Paul is talking to the Philippian church. Okay, This is the context of a local church. Some will be mature, some will be less mature. And the responsibility of those who are mature is to help the brothers and sisters that may not be as mature to be encouraged in their walk and to grow in their walk. This is where discipleship comes in. And the call to do this can either be an encouragement, but it could also be a rebuke. How so? An encouragement to those who are struggling, to those who are yet advancing in their walk with Christ. They're reading, they're praying, they're congregating, they're reaching out because they need to be uh, accountable, right? That's encouraging. Like, yes, keep doing that. But in another sense, it could also be a rebuke. To many of us that by now should be more mature than we are, but we've become lazy, right? Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, it reads, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Right? That's, that's a rebuke. Not that baby food or, or milk in the, in the context of learning the elementary principle of the faith is a bad thing. No, that's good. But we cannot remain there. As the child grows, how would it look if the child is now 10, 11, 12, 13, still drinking bottle from, uh, milk from a bottle? That's unnatural. That's not to go. Right? So how can we be grown adults and still wear a diaper and, and drink a bottle with milk? That's not natural, right? That's not how it should be. And Paul is saying, if that's you, you should be rebuked for that. There's no room for that because ultimately... What these, what this maturing, what is coming more and more into the image of Christ should be for, is for our edification. What does that mean? Our discernment, us knowing how to give godly and biblical counsel to one another. If we are babes in the faith forever, we can't do that. We're going to go astray in our thoughts, in our worldview, in what we tell our brothers and sisters that what the best thing to do in a particular situation, because we don't know the scriptures. Or if someone challenges you in the faith. Right? We don't have all the answers, but if somebody's challenging you, challenging you in the things that are basic, which you should be able to refute those who oppose the gospel and you can't do it, then shame on you. Right? Because you should be well versed in scripture to be able to stand opposition. So again, an encouragement, but also a rebuke of striving in community 
we ought to do this as a church. And then we take that home and we're also responsible for our own growth. In doing so, we become more mature in our faith as we walk together, bearing each other's burdens, praying for each other, mourning with each other, crying with each other, rejoicing with each other, and ultimately praising God with each other. And yet, Paul acknowledges that God will be the one to grant and work that maturity in each believer. Right? It's both and. God works that in us, but we apply ourselves to the work that God is doing. We are not left without responsibility to be diligent. So then, the last characteristic. Consistency in pressing forward in Christ. Verse 16 reads, only tell us, only let us hold true to what we have attained. The phrase there, let us hold true, the language there in the Greek, it means to agree on a position conceived of as in being in proper battle formation with other soldiers. This is a military phrase. The implications then are, let us hold, right? That's community. You're not doing this alone. Let us hold. Another implication is continuity and consistency. It says to not let go of what you have already attained. Right? Guarding, consistency, continuity, and then to what you have attained. That means that this soldier's information holding the ground together are on watch. They are protecting something that has been attained because they are in the battle, right? We are reminded that Satan, the enemy, is like a roaring lion seeing who he may devour, right? So in, in our times of discouragement or even in the times of self-righteousness, as long as we're being driven away from Christ, those are instances in which the devil will use to take advantage of our weaknesses. And therefore, we should be consistent, persevering in the faith, so that we can hold together the truths that we've applied, known in our lives, so that we can come more and more to the full stature of Christ, as Ephesians 4 tells us. So then, in review, what have we looked in these characteristics that we Ought to analyze ourselves to see if we're in line with what Paul is saying here. First, knowing that we're better than we were, but we're not yet where we should be. To that, should be warning to ourselves, do I think I'm good right now? Like, I could just cruise along now, I'm good. Or even worse yet, if you have not been born again, if you have not trusted fully and only in Christ, are you trusting in something else? Acknowledging that we are better than we were, but we're still not done. Secondly, and very importantly, let go of the past. And focus on what's ahead. The past or even that present could be self-righteousness. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. Or it could be discouragement. I can't do it. No, let go of that. And press forward in Christ to what he has done, to the victory he has obtained for each and every one of us. And then intentionality in spiritual diligence. 
diligence, diligence. Remember, this does not happen naturally. And therefore, we must strive in community. Our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are a key element in us pressing forward in Christ to become more and more into his likeness. Make no mistake, there is no such thing as a lone wolf soldier, right? Paul is saying, let us hold together. That's military talk. What happens if you go against an army of enemy and you're just one? You're going to get demolished. You can't do it alone. And then lastly, as we saw, consistency. The analogy of a runner. We're in this in the long run. You're going to get tired. You're going to fall. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to think that this race is impossible to run. And in our own merits, it is impossible. You can't do it. You need the power of Christ to be able to strengthen you and give you that grace to press forward. And lastly, let us remember this is not about obtaining salvation. Cannot say that enough. Rather, if we have been saved, we want to apply these characteristics and see how we could better align to what Paul is telling us here. The things in the Christian life that should be done are not to become a Christian, but because you are a Christian. Now, a very important question, why should we do these things? Why? Because this is a, a, very, um, inf a very imperative uh, command that Paul has given us here. Let's not forget the indicative. The reasons we should be do we should strive to do these things, as Paul pointed out, is because we belong to Christ. Is because Christ already did something, right? Let us not forget that. Christ already lived perfectly. He already died the death that we deserve. He already resurrected from the dead, and by trusting in Him and His righteousness. His righteousness becomes ours. So that as Paul says, we can now be found in his righteousness, not having the righteousness of our own. And therefore, trusting in Christ because of what he has done, the thing that we cannot do. So let's take this as an encouragement or for some of us, even as a rebuke. Like, what are you doing? Why haven't you applied yourself in the things that the Lord has ordained for you? Let us not be idle or complacent and press forward in full force. Now, a warning for all of us. If we are not pressing forward in Christ to attain the likeness of Jesus, make no mistake, you are pressing for something. What is that? If we are honest with ourselves, what are we most striving for? What are we most passionate for currently, right now in our lives? If it's Christ, praise God. But let us remember, we're not yet where we should be. So we need to constantly apply that. But maybe if it's not the things of God at all, that is a serious call for us to repent. Because we are striving for something that is not Jesus, we are trusting that by attaining something else, we're going to be made right or made it in this life. And we're not trusting in Christ. 
Isaiah 31 verse 1 gives us that warning. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult with the Lord. Right? Do you go down to Egypt to see what you should strive for? That means to the world. Are we striving to become like the world, to gain the things of the world, and not to the things of God? Like, what is our point of reference? What are we trying to gain, to attain in this life? And as we think of that, let us remember that as we apply ourselves to follow Christ, to become more and more like Him, to fight in our sanctification, let us never forget who is the one who gives us that strength, that grace, that perseverance in order to make that happen? Even that doesn't come from us. We already went through this verse a few weeks ago, but let us be reminded because Paul gives us the answer there as well. When he tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It says then in verse 13 of chapter 2, Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. At the end of the day, the only reason why you and I will be diligent, will be able to align ourselves to the statue of Christ more and more as we walk through our daily life, is because God is granting us that in his grace, in his mercy, in his love for us, in his pursuit of us. He's in the business of reconciling us with him every single day. For his mercies renew each and every morning Right. So then let us be encouraged that as we do this, we have a responsibility. We cannot have an excuse. But yet when we are doing these things in walking with Christ is because he has given us the ability to do so. And for that, we praise him and we worship him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for your word is indeed true. Let us look to your word, Lord, for edification, for correction, for rebuke knowing that in our own we go astray, Lord. On our own, we follow the things of the world. And therefore, we need a constant reminder to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. You are faithful, Lord, and therefore we trust in you. May you make these truths live, become alive in our lives today, Lord. And as we look forward this week to our daily lives of work, of school, of laboring in whatever it is that you've given us in this season of life. Let us trust in you, in your righteousness, Lord, that we may become more like you. In Jesus' name.